Here's the phrase for this next year. Last year, the phrase was, don't hold back. This year, the word for our fourth year of church, uh, our life as a church is, is renovate. 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 Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a renovation before, a home renovation before. Well, you know, you know how, how much work it is, how stressful it can be. I've only been a part of one renovation. It's the home that I'm currently living in. My wife and I had narrowed down the city that we wanted to live in, Winter Park, to launch the church. And in this neighborhood, uh, which kind of was Winter Park, kind of wasn't, there were two homes. The home that I wanted to pick, it was nice. It was, it was, it was smaller, but it was pretty. And it, and it was clean. And most important, most important, it would not have taken a lot of work to fix which is what I cared about. So I'm like, this is it. This is the house. She's like, well, let's go check one more house. And we go into this another house. And this house is a wreck. It's dirty. The carpets are a mess. The walls, we still don't know to this day if the walls were painted yellow, beige, or if it were just old. Have you ever seen white over time just evolve into its very own color? You can buy this paint at the store. It's called Time. If you pick it up, it'll, it's like an off-white type of thing. It was just a wreck. And, and she walks in here, and she's like, I love it. And I'm like, mm, not really feeling the Holy Spirit on this one, Lord. Uh, Liz, uh, Lord, Liz, same thing. I don't really feel like... Uh, God is in this. His presence is not here. This place is possessed. We got to go. Um, and she told me these words, and I'll never forget it. And it's the inspiration for the sermon today. It's my title. She said, no, I like this place. I said, how come? She said, because this place has got good bones. It's got good bones, and we can do a lot with these bones. Liz had vision. She was able to see the house beyond the surface. You know what vision is? Vision is being able to see your situation beyond the surface of your situation. Not just seeing your situation for what it is, but seeing what your situation can become and seeing what God can make out of your situation. That's vision. And if you want vision for your life, you got to have that ability to see things, not just as they are, but for what you can do with them. Like my man Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse one through 14, he's got some vision. God shows him something that doesn't look great in and of itself, but it's got potential. It's got potential. Verse one, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I love it when God asks questions. He doesn't ask questions because he wants to know. He asks questions so that we can know more about ourselves. Can these bones live? And I, and I love Ezekiel's answer. Ezekiel said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Are you catching that? Ezekiel's saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who knows what's going to happen. And the one who knows what's going to happen is you. So even though I can't trust my circumstances, and even though I can't trust my finances, and even though I can't trust the tangible, I got trust in you, Lord God, because even though I don't know, you know, and I know you, and you're a good God. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise. That can be the best way you answer your uncertainty. You know that. One of the best ways you can answer your uncertainty, I don't know. But I know who knows. It's God. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, 
hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. Bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, tendons came together, flesh appeared on them, skin covered them, but there was no breath yet in them. So then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain. Sovereign Lord says, come breath. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. These bones are the church. These bones are the people of Orlando. These bones are you and me. And you and me are saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come on, I know what CNN says. I know what Fox News says. I know what your mama says. I mean, I don't know what your mama says, but it's probably not great. But I know what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you're going to live for the first time. You've been alive for a while, but you're going to live for the first time, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. What do you think of when you think of bones? How do you see bones? Bones are dry. Bones are decaying. They're decrepit. They can be traumatic. You're not supposed to see bones. As long as they're in the body, that's cool. But if a bone ever comes out, that's traumatic. You know, that's how you know the injury is bad. They can be scary. Bones are the universal symbol of poison. If you see a bottle in another country with bones on it, don't drink it. It's not good for you. It's poison. But in all of the negativity and in all of the harrowing and all of the horror of bones, I came to tell you something else that bones are. Bones are something. <laughs> they're, they're, bones are something. At least they're something. That's right. Yeah. And how many people have ever heard the phrase, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Raise your hand if you've heard that. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Okay. There is a biblical answer to this question. Okay, the reason why we ask this question is because we believe this philosophy of something must come from something. So if there's an egg, it got to come from the chicken. But if there's a chicken, it got to come from the egg. But the answer to what came first, the chicken or the egg, is easy. God. <laughs> God came first. And he probably made a chicken. So there's the answer. It's chicken. And then the chicken laid an egg. Here's the only point I'm making. Something comes from something except when you deal with God. Because when you deal with God, he can make something out of nothing. And if God can make something out of nothing, imagine what he can make with something. You walk on the dirt, and you don't think twice about the dirt. You pave your sideways, your sidewalks around the dirt. You got doormats in front of your home to wipe off the dirt before you go inside your house. Because when you see the dirt, you see nothing. But God saw the dirt, and he saw you and me. He didn't see nothing. He saw something. The Bible says he went into the dirt and made humanity out of it. I'm just telling you, you might, this year might have stripped you down to the bone. But bones are still something, and God can work with something. The problem is we're often, write this down if you're taking notes, the problem is we're often paralyzed by what's lost instead of mobilized by what's left. You're always focusing on what you lost, but let me ask you a question. What's left? 
When God called Moses to deliver the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses at that point had lost everything. He had lost his privilege. He had lost his position. He had lost his rights. He had lost apparently his ability to speak. If he was raised up in the, in the, in the royal, he would have been a good speaker. But by that time now, uh, he's got a stutter. He lost his family. God said, Moses, I want to use you. Moses said, you can't use me. I've lost everything. I got nothing. God said, you got nothing? He said, I got nothing. You took it all from me. I got nothing. He goes, what's in your hand? Moses said, a stick. He says, that's something. Take that stick, throw it on the ground. The stick became a snake. He said, pick up the snake. It turned into a stick. God said, let that be the last time you said you got nothing. You got something. And if you got something, I can do something with your something. I can use it. I can make a difference with it. Listen, I know you lost some things this year. I know you lost your job this year. But what's left? You probably got some experience from that job, right? You probably say, yes, but experience don't pay the bills, pastor. Amen. But experience is something. So maybe you can use that experience instead of working for someone else, start your own business with the experience you got working on that business. Listen, when people leave your life and you lose people in your life, that can be traumatic. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I experience loss on a daily basis. I'm always around death. I'm always around divorce. I'm around desertion. People leave the church. I mean, not this church. Nobody leaves this church, but... <laughs> now, our church is just like any other church. People leave that season ago, and every time it hurts. But you know how I've learned to cope? You know how I've learned to be better about it? I don't focus on who left. I focus on who's left. And guess what I think when I think about who's left? Appreciation and gratitude. Nothing will make you appreciate the friends you have in your life like the friends who leave you. And you can lean into those relations, be mobilized by that. You know what makes me want to serve Liz every day of my life? Thinking about all the girls that dumped me. When I think about every girl that dumped me, tried me, played me, cheated on me, and she asked me to throw out the garbage, I'm like, yes, queen, I got the garbage. I'll take it out. Whatever you want. Will you be here when I get back? Okay. That's what I just want to know. Yes, queen. Yes. I'm not scared. I'm not fearful of her leaving. I'm appreciative that she stayed. It's gratefulness. By the way, that's why I serve Jesus. Because no matter what leaves, he's always what's left. Ah, when money leaves, Jesus is left. When your car breaks down, Jesus is left. When they take your house from you, Jesus is left. When you get sick, Jesus is left. When the divorce happens, Jesus is left. No matter who goes, what goes, where it goes, you will always be left with Jesus. Jesus is always what's left. Always. He's faithful. He's faithful. So do not underestimate the potential of something. Because something in God's hands can become anything. Anything. That's why the first step to a renovation is always demolition. Always. Liz had a vision for our home. But you wouldn't have known that. If you came to visit in the first two months of our home ownership, walls were down, carpets were ripped up. There was no running water in the house for weeks. It didn't look like a renovation. It looked like destruction. But she had to get it down to the bones so that she could make what she saw. You have been experiencing demolition this year. 
our church has experienced demolition this year. But I believe God had to take down some things so that he can build what he wanted. He had to turn it down to something so that he could take something and turn it into anything. And by the way, don't you be mad when he builds it into something that you weren't expecting. The other day, uh, not the other day, about two years ago, we had the opportunity to meet the person who built our home. It was at a neighbor's New Year's Eve party. The neighbor's house that the party was at was one of the original homeowners in the development when it was first turned from an orange grove into a, uh, an actual neighborhood. And this guy, I guess they were old friends, they came over and he came and we were there and he goes, hey, you guys live in the blue house over? And we're like, yeah, that's our house. He said, I built the house. He said, that's my house. To which I responded, I mean, it was your house. (laughs) Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. You know what I'm saying? It's a six, half a dozen, whatever. You know, it was your your house. He goes, you guys like it? I said, yeah, we made some some changes, though. (laughs) At that point, it's like super quiet aggressive. You know what I'm saying? You ever been one of those quiet tension? And then he drops the bomb. He goes, I see you cut down that tree. He's smiling at this point. He's like, I see you cut down that tree in the front of the house. I said, yeah, yeah, we had to cut it down because Hurricane, whatever his name was, I lost count, came and it was, it was, you know, shaking and, and, you know, that tree, you you planted it right in front of the biggest window in the house. And so uh, we just decided that it would be in everyone's best interest to to remove the the tree. He goes, I see, I see. He goes, my son and I planted that tree 25 years ago. It was just a little tree. It grew up in a big tree. (laughs) And I was like, well, <laughs> we took it out. <laughs> I'm sorry. It might have looked good to you, but it was a bad decision. And as the new homeowner, it's my job to undo all your bad decisions. Somebody say amen. Don't be mad. When the things that you've been building for 25 years, the mindsets you've been building, the habits you've been building, the behaviors you've been building, the relationships you've been building come crashing down when you go under new ownership. Because when you go under new ownership, he's going to build what's best. It might not always be what you wanted. It might not always be what you thought. But he knows what's best. He's going to build it how he wants it. And so you're going to have to stand back. That's not my house anymore. That was my life. That was my marriage. That was my job. I know I went to school for this major and now you got me doing this job. That's messed up, God. Well, I'm going to tear it down because it wasn't what I wanted to build in the first place. He's coming for you. He's going to take it all down so that he can build it up into what he wants it to be. That's what God does. Bones, bones, bones are something. At least you got something. Bones aren't just something. Bones are, here's my second point, bones are unseen. Unseen. We kind of miss the power of this statement in the obvious that when God brought the person back together, he first brought him back bone to bone, then tendon to tendon, then flesh to flesh. Because when God builds a person, he builds the person from the inside out. But when a person builds their life, most oftentimes they build their life from the outside in. They're focused on the skin, not the structure. And skin is a big deal. We spend a lot of money on skin. Say amen, sister. I know. You got the creams. You got the oils. You got the hair. 
You got tats, you got piercings, you got plastic surgery, you got the clothes, you got the nails. And, and listen, I'm not saying all of that's bad. I'm just saying what order are we going to put it in because we want to always work on what's seen, but God wants to work on what's unseen because you'll get claps for what's seen, but what keeps you standing, oh God, is what's unseen. What adds form to your life is what no one else can see. We want to work on our money. God wants to work on our mindset. We want to work on our habits. God wants to work on our hearts. We want to build up our law practice. God wants us to practice our prayer life. He's always trying to get us to work on the unseen things, but there's a reason why we don't work on the unseen things. Not just because it's hard to work on things you can see, but it's hard because unseen things don't always produce fruit that you can see. It's hard. Let me, let me tell you another way. My, my, my purpose in this point is this. I want you to work on the unseen because I want you to commit to working when it doesn't look like it's working. Working when it doesn't look like it's working. Ezekiel 37, verse 3. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. And you're going to miss verse 7. Keep verse 7 up here. Don't take it down. You're going to miss the power of verse 7. That, that phrase right there, so I prophesied as I was commanded, unless you get the context. God is telling him to prophesy. And those bones will come to life. The problem is, this is Exodus 37. He's already been prophesying for 36 chapters. In addition to the prophesying of, of, of Ezekiel in 36 chapters, we got a whole other book of the Bible called Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who was prophesying at the same time that Ezekiel was. His book has got over 50 chapters. So you got Jeremiah and Ezekiel all prophesying and the nation is getting worse. Nobody's getting delivered. Things are getting, the Babylonians are threatening to overtake Israel. It's not working. Now put that verse up there again. Because when you see that verse, you realize there's a bit of exasperation. There's a bit of hopelessness. There's a bit of tiredness, like prophesy again. But then there's a bit of faith. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Sometimes we got to do things not because they're working or because they look like they're working, but because God says so. I'm going to do it even though it's not working. I'm going to prophesy as I was commanded. I'm going to go to church even though it feels like it's not working. I'm going to go to church as the Lord commanded. You got to commit to doing things that don't look like they're working, even if they're not working, because God asked you to. Listen, we live in a day and age where... Kindness doesn't look like it's working. Be kind anyway. We live in a world where listening doesn't look like it's working. Listen anyway. We live in a world where following Jesus sometimes doesn't look like it's working. Follow Jesus anyway. We live in a world where forgiveness sometimes doesn't look like it's working. Forgive anyway. Sometimes it can feel like generosity doesn't look like it's working. Be generous anyway. Holiness a lot of times doesn't look like it's working. Be holy anyway. Studying your Bible. Sometimes you don't even know the words. You're just like, you can spend 15 minutes on the Bible and not even know what happened. 
at the end of time, it's, a lot of times it doesn't look like it's working. Study your Bible anyway. Patience ooh, can feel like it's not working. Be patient anyway. Do it anyway because he commanded. You know financial freedom doesn't look like financial freedom, right? You know that. Financial freedom doesn't look like financial freedom. Financial freedom looks like a budget. I wasn't expecting an amen on that. Because a budget doesn't look like freedom. A budget looks like bondage. Because the budget tells you everything you can't spend, and now you got money going into your savings account, and not into your new shoes, or not into your new car that you don't need but will be nice to have. It doesn't look like freedom, but it is. Do it even if it doesn't look like it's working. You know that freedom from sin and addiction doesn't look like freedom, right? It looks like fighting. Because before you gave your life to Jesus, you didn't even put up a fight. You just gave in to those habits and temptations. But now that you got Jesus, you wake up and you feel temptation. And for the first time, conviction, along with the temptation, hey, you're free. That's the fight. But it looks like a fight. And you got to be willing to fight. I'm not free because I'm perfect. I'm free because Jesus died on the cross and says I'm free. So I live in that freedom, the freedom of his declaration. You got to work on the, the inside. You know, it's got to be the time when we forget about all the, you know, the frames on the wall or the color of the carpet or the adding the 10th pillow to the couches in our lives. I remember when the renovation, I told my dad, I said, can we paint? Can we just please paint? He said, no, we can't paint because I still got walls to tear down. I said, yeah, but I need to paint. He said, why do you need to paint? He said, because I need to feel like progress is taking place in this house. Can we just paint? He goes, Jay, you don't understand. If you paint now, I'm going to have to tear down that wall because I don't know what's behind these walls. If you, tear, if you paint now, it's going to get dirty later. I was like, oh, I wanted him to paint so bad because to see that yellow time color finally come off my walls would have made me feel like my house was coming together. But here's what I've learned in that renovation. The most satisfying part is not always the most significant part. Let's not put paint over walls with bad pipes. Let's not put paint over, over walls with, with no power. We want things to look nice. We want to add things to, to our life. I wrote it like this, and hopefully this doesn't offend, but it's true. Listen to me. Your life doesn't lack stuff. Your life lacks structure. You live in America. You got plenty of stuff. You need structure in your life. You know what we're going to give God praise for in this next year? You better say amen if this is you, because you know it is. We're going to praise God for, for finally having a bedtime. Okay? Some of y'all 40 years old, still going to bed at 1 in the morning, just trying to get back at mom because she put you to sleep at 9 o'clock. Now that you're a grown man, you're like, I'll stay as long as I want to. You need a bedtime. You need some structure in your life. Why? Because you're not getting up in time to have breakfast with your kids. You're not getting up in time to have morning devotion. Your kids been eating Pop-Tarts and cereal for the last 20, for the last 20 years. Because you won't get up in time to make a meal and actually conversate with them. Come on, is it okay that we be honest with one another? We need some structure in our life. This is the year we set a bedtime and a wake-up time. This is the year we set a date night every week on the calendar. This is that year. This is the year we have a family day. This is that year where me and my kids, we go out. This is the year where I'm setting aside 6 to 6.30 to spend time with Jesus. This is the year. My life is going to have some structure to it. 
And once you get structure, once the structure is in place, here's what happened next in Ezekiel. The spirit could fill the space. Spirit follows structure. The spirit of God always fills, but in order for the spirit of God to fill, there has to be something to fill. You've been asking God to, to meet God and encounter God. God said, build something and I'll fill it. Build something and I'll fill it. Once we get the structure, the spirit is in place, which is my final point. Bones are not enough. My house was beautiful. It was awesome. The renovation was done. But could you imagine if after all of the work, my wife and I stood outside the, family with our, outside the house with our family and we looked at it and we just said, well, that's nice. On to the next house. Let's go sleep in our car. Would have done that. Because at that point, it was just a house. But in order to make a house a home, we had to move in. Because the end goal of renovation is not decoration, it's habitation. Here's my heart breaks for you today. There are people in the room who have spent so much time, money, education hours, tears, blood, sweat, building a beautiful house. If people were to look at it, they go, what a success. My only question, and then I don't know the answer, but can you be honest? You know the answer is, it's beautiful, but is it empty? Is there anybody living in it? Because if there's one thing COVID has taught me, it's that I'm a lot emptier than I thought I was. I thought I was happy. Turns out I wasn't happy. It was just basketball playoffs. And then when they took that away from me, I realized I was a lot emptier than I thought I was. Ooh, this is a good one. I thought I was secure. Turns out I wasn't. It was just the stock market was doing really well. But when it crashed, I realized how scared I was. I thought I was happy. Turns out it was just Disney. And when they shut it down, I realized how empty that I was. Do you feel it? It's a beautiful life, but who's living in it? And the only way to fill it is to do what Ezekiel did. By the way, God's the only one who can fill it. And the only way God can fill it is to do what Ezekiel did. Ezekiel stopped speaking to the bones. He stopped speaking to the structure. And the Bible says he prophesied to the wind and the breath. And the word for wind and breath in the Hebrew is ruach. I'm practicing on my Hebrew. Ruach. Here's why that's so important. Because ruach has a third definition. Wind, breath, and spirit. What is it called when you talk to the spirit? of God. You see, the wind came, the spirit came, not through prophesying, not through preaching, not through practice or preparation, but through prayer. Write this down if you're taking notes. What preparation builds, prayer fills. What preparation builds, prayer fills. And I just want to tell you, it's time. It's time. What I see for our church moving forward, I see a church of prayer. A church that is full of God's presence, not just every Sunday, but every Monday through Saturday. I know you built a lot. Listen, I'm so excited if you're about to get into a relationship, like you're about to get married. Like, I'm so glad that you put a ring on it. But now that you put a ring on it, can we get God in it? I'm so excited about election year. Maybe not, but I'm excited that, you know, that, that we're doing things. And I, I'm so grateful for our government. As jacked up as it is, at least we got structure. But that's all it is. Unless the Spirit of God fills this nation, we will always be a nation divided. 
We need the Spirit of God to fill it. I'm so grateful for our neighborhood watches and our communities and our HOAs and not really, I hate HOAs, but I'm, I'm grateful for the, the idea of community. But how many people know that the neighborhood is just structure? But unless the Spirit of God fills that structure, it's going to be empty. How about the home that you've built, the wonderful, beautiful kids that you have, or your parents, your brothers and sisters? Listen, I, I love that home. Here's my only question is, where have all the grandmas gone? I know we have a lot of people that didn't grow up in Christian homes, but I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and, and in my home there was a grandma, and this grandma every morning, every single morning of my life before I went to school, she had her cafe bustelo with her Bible open and her butter crackers, and, and she would put mayonnaise on the butter crackers. It was weird, but she would just sit there, and every morning that I would come down, she would be praying over all 10 of her kids and 25 of her grandchildren. Every single morning, press in. Where have all the grandmas gone? Where have all the grandpas gone? Where have all the parents gone? Listen, and if you didn't have that grandma or grandpa pressing into you, pressing in for you, I'm gonna tell you, I'm the product of that. And if you're here today, would you commit to being that grandma? Would you commit to being that mom? Would you commit to being that older brother or that younger sister? Because I'm not gonna let the devil just have his way with my family. I'm gonna get on my knees and I'm gonna press in and I'm gonna fight and I'm glad that I got some structure. But I need the Spirit of God to fill this structure if we're gonna have any life in my family, if we're going to have any life in my marriage, if we're going to have any life in this country, we need the Holy Spirit to bring revival. And that comes to prayer and praise. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.